Welcome to another episode of Being at Work. I'm Andrea Butcher, and today's guest says that the business gets better when the people get better. Donna Kelsey is the CEO at American Senior Communities, and what you most need to know about her is that she focuses much of her leadership on strengthening her team because of her experiences. She's intentional about hiring for passion and has built a team that's empowered to lead. Listen in as she talks about the very personal nature of her business and the hearts of gold in the team she works with. Well, it's that long winding road or a uh, uh, strange way to, to uh, go about things. But I started out with a degree in biology because I enjoy knowing why things work. I don't necessarily want to you know, provide care, but I do like to know why different things work. And uh, ended up in Boston and realized I loathe, deplore, and just detest winter. So I thought to myself, what could I do that would get me out of Boston? And so I joined the Navy. And so why I didn't expect to do that, it turned out also to be a really good experience. And uh, the first place the Navy sent me was Newport, Rhode Island for the winter. That was like a great (laughs) move. But it was also a time where they were first selecting the first group of women to go to sea. Uh, and so I was selected to um, be able to go on a ship. And I think one of my core, you know, core beliefs, if you're, if you're going to do something, be all and be committed. And so I uh, served on a Navy ship. There was six women and 300 men. That was an interesting adventure, obviously. I had a great experience. It teaches you about leadership, about caring. And of course, one of my themes is teams. When everyone and I had the um, engine room, our boiler techs and our machinist mates, and whenever you go down into the hole, as they call it, you would always count the number of people in there so that if an accident happened, you always made sure that that number of people got out. And so it really was building your team of people. And of course, the other thing it teaches you is you want the people around you to do well. Because one of the sayings in business is the business gets better when the people get better. So the Navy and military in whole is really has a lot of training, training, and more training to ensure that everyone can do their job as best that they can. So, so from the Navy, which I've heard this on some of your other podcasts with women, I married a Navy man. So uh, after I got out, we moved around quite a bit with him. I stayed in the reserves, so I ended up uh, with 26 years in the reserves and parallel careers, uh, both in the Navy uh, through you know going up there, and I retired as a captain in the Navy. And then my other career, of course, turns out to be long-term care. But before I got there, as I said, now they say we ramp off as women, and then you ramp back on when you're ready to go back to work. Uh, at that point, they just said, you're a Navy wife, and we're not hiring you because we know that you'll be moving. But I found that still it was a very productive few years because you can volunteer for different things. And one of the things I did volunteer for was to be a, I helped on the election of a nonpartisan mayor election where I was a campaign manager. And so that was a great lesson in civics in getting to know how things work to get people elected and what it means. My candidate uh, did not win, which is probably why she chose me to be the campaign manager, but it was uh, certainly a lot of fun to, again, understand how our government works. And from there, we had moved back to Virginia Beach, where Norfolk is the home of the Navy. And I was able to finish a master's degree in community health uh, at Old Dominion University. And through that program, could qualify for a, a skilled nursing facility license. And you have to be licensed to be in a nursing home administrator. And I fell immediately in love with it because I got to be in charge. 
as and I advocate for anyone interested in being an administrator uh, of a nursing center or any kind of senior living, which is again a great profession and quite fulfilling. But as as an administrator, you're given uh, at that time probably a six million dollar book of business. Now it's about a ten million dollar to more a book of business for each center, and you are in charge of everything, whether it's you know, its environment the mechanics of the building, the culinary department, and certainly nursing and resident care, customer service, the hiring, all of those good things come under um, basically your leadership. And going back to our theme of, of team, in order to really provide those services and to be able to be your best and synergize, you need to have a good team. I will, and to continue on on my career because it goes on from there, obviously, I then had bigger buildings and more complex buildings and ended up moving quite a bit in order to be promoted and to take bigger um, bigger areas. So from Virginia Beach, I went, if you could believe it, back to Boston to be a senior VP. And of course, New England kept calling me back. And every time there was winter, I kept going, I cannot scrape a car anymore. And from there, I went out to Salt Lake City, and I was an executive vice president, and had half the continent, you know, half the United States there, from Montana down to Arizona, and had uh, again sites of service all over there, which was really again very good because during winter you could go visit your Arizona buildings, and during the summer you could go up to Montana and Idaho and uh, Washington. So it really also gave you a good view of the entire United States and how we provide care and sites of service and how we pay for care through both federal and and state governments. And then from there, the other thing which is very normal in healthcare is the buying and selling of companies as we get bigger, get smaller, get different, build and retire things. And so I ended up that part of that company was beginning to be sold off. And so I was offered a job as the president of the U.S. business of a Canadian company. Again, very fascinating figuring out how Canadians, uh, who are everything we think they are, polite, uh, well-mannered, but all healthcare there is part of the government. And it was obvious after a short time that the Canadians really shouldn't be in healthcare in the United States because it's they just really can't understand. Well, they can understand, but it's so different in the way it's paid for, in the way it is, the way we just do healthcare in the United States is is quite different. And so I got the company ready to sell, and then we sold their portfolio, uh, which is also a theme in long term care. If you can stay with the same company and not be sold, you're you know you're doing really well. But then, fortunately, I was asked to interview for a job in Indianapolis, and that was with American Senior Communities. And they are a privately held senior care and living company, and they are owned just by really fine people. And I really like their mission statement and their vision of what they'd like to be. And Indianapolis is a great place to live for anybody not in Indianapolis. I live downtown. Again, I'm all in. So, it, it, And I have been there now for four years and it's been a lot of fun. I will say that any place in long-term care and senior housing is a ro- is like being on a roller coaster. And things are good, and then things not so good, and then things good. But it is a place where one person can really make a difference, especially as you, again, are caring for others and uh, helping people along their journey 
uh, because we have service level, all you know, service folks are our culinary and our, our CNAs to very educated people. And it's all of that together, again, providing care for our residents. And so that's kind of how I ended up in a, in a very short amount of time uh, being here in Indianapolis. You're right. It is a long and winding road. I mean, it sounds like such a dynamic journey. You know, and, and listening to you, there are a couple there are a couple things that really jump out to me. You talked about being all in a couple of times. You also said, I like to be in charge. So I hear a lot of natural leadership inclination. I mean, just to be one one of the first women to go to sea in the Navy, that says something about you challenging the process, stepping into challenging situations. That definitely seems like a theme throughout your career. I do like a good challenge, yes. Now, I, I joke is that, you know, I my personality wants to run the world, at least my portion of it, because we think we can do it better. I know that I can't necessarily, but if my secret sauce would be in the organization and putting people in the right place to do it, and then streamlining processes so that we become more efficient at what we do. Uh, so each of the, and then service, each of these areas that I have been in, we have core values of servicing, you know, servicing other. Now, I do joke that the Navy wasn't exactly caring for people. We were, you know, ready to go to war if necessary. And my healthcare, we're saving people. So it's why they're similar. They're a little bit different. And then the Navy, of course, was quite male and we are 87% female. So looking at those two worlds together has been enjoyable also. I will tell you that the healthy part is someplace in the middle where we all have to behave ourselves. So that, you know, that's just an aside. Well, but it does sound like, you know, it's the balance of female, male perspective attribute. I mean, it's that diversity that makes us better and stronger. Yes, absolutely. In everything we do, it's, that's, and that is completely true. But you had asked me, about some of the things that I have, you know, not pivotal moments, but things that I think are important for anyone that, you know, is going to be the leader. You learn many things in the Navy, but one of them, of course, is mission accomplishment or the bottom line or your mission statement. At the end of the day, where every organization has a goal. And as a leader, you have to, you know, achieve that goal to be successful. And I would say that, you know, you can be a great leader and a great team, but if you put the ordinance on the wrong target, it's not career enhancing. And the same thing in a for-profit or not-for-profit, you know, we say no margin, no mission. There's an expectation that you are going to accomplish the goals that you have been set out. And that comes about, you know, with execution. And that's if you're going to promise things, uh, then you have to deliver or do your very best to, to accomplish and have reasons why it can't be accomplished, but normally the expectation is you're going to execute on the mission. And you do that, of course, through through alignment and communication and getting people all, you know, going the same direction. But if you are responsible for a bottom line, whether it's money or it is, you know, whatever your bottom line is, it's important to remember as a leader that the expectation is you're going to execute on that. I would say also is is the teams, when I go back to that, is that people are the heart and soul of all we do. And you can be a great leader and great thoughts, but if you're not bringing people with you or they're only following you out of a sense of amusement, uh, you probably won't be (laughs) 
be successful because people really are the spirit of all we do. And certainly where I am now, all of my people who are frontline heroes in this past year are the hands and the hearts of the company. And they are very special. And when I was brief, you know, when we were talking before, the people who are called to senior living and senior health absolutely do have hearts of gold because we put up with some pretty cranky people from, you know, and some family members that are in crisis themselves that having to place, say, a loved one in, in a congregate setting. And then each of individuals have their own very complicated life uh, with their children and family. And so all coming together under one roof can be very difficult. And so when they stay with us for a long time, they're the just best people ever. And I can tell a lot of stories where people who are making really minimum wage will go out and buy things for the residents because they have run out of money. And you just go like, that would be like giving, if you were making $100,000, spending $10,000 on a resident. So it's such an incredibly giving atmosphere that for, I know that we make a lot of um, newspapers for the one or two bad people, but for every one bad two people, there are hundreds that are really, really doing their job. So that going back into kind of what we were talking about of what makes our team successful. First of all, when I hire people, I hire definitely for passion. For the, I really like my part of the job of whatever it is. So if you, where I am now is, you know, my compliance officer is very knowledgeable and expert in compliance. Uh, legal is, you know, my legal, my operators are the best ever. The uh, IT people, HR, all very good at what they do. And then bringing them together and then having a seat at the table. And all through my career, my expectation is the team had a seat at the table. And to do that, you have to be you know, empowered and edu- and uh, responsible to bring your opinion and your point of view to the table so that we can hopefully make something better than what we had. And just as an aside, we, we had a game we used to call business lingo bingo. And that's when you listen to people who are talking and they use proactive and silo and outside the box. And then if you could get if the speaker used all the appropriate lingo, you you would actually win. And that way I thought it might keep my folks like at least listening to the speaker to see. But in the bingo lingo, we used to have problems and then we had challenges. And now I'm happy to say I have a lot of opportunity. So I, I jokingly say that, but we do have a lot of opportunity when we have feedback. And we might not, I've also jumped on my box and recycled it. So now I just greenfield or whiteboard on my new ideas. But again, going back to the seriousness, having our team that is empowered with uh, responsibility and authority to do their job and then bring it to the group so that we are both communicating and literally synergizing and believing that two and two can make four and can make eight because we are trying to get to the best solution with all of the best minds in the room. That also comes to the point of trust and that trust is earned and it's earned by, you know, what you do is what you say is who you are. So that uh, when I first came to this company, uh, we had a meeting and I won't give you the history of the company, but let's just say the last CEO is serving time. So you can only imagine that there was quite a, um, brouhaha in forming, bringing the group back together. It was very 
devastating for those involved that they were betrayed by their leader, literally. And so when I got in front of the group and I said, so, you know, tell me about, you know, the issues. And one of them was, well, we don't, nobody is accountable. And one of my favorite words, nobody's accountable, but I said, really? So I, I asked for a show of hands and I said, everybody in this room who doesn't feel that they're accountable for results, please let me know. And nobody raised their hand. So I looked at them and I said, okay, so apparently we all think each other is not accountable, but nobody thinks they're individually not accountable, if that makes sense. And so that comes to lack of trust of the folks around you. And we worked really hard for these last few years. There's no old people and new people. There's only us and we together, you know, are going to move the business forward. What did you do to establish the trust that was lacking? Well, you know, to be honest, some of the people just couldn't let go of the baggage. And so they moved on. And active listening, I would say, is the and I use that too, because active listening, of course, is when you actually listen to the person and don't formulate in your head. And it is what I call a factoid that you listen quicker and take in quicker than somebody talks. So if they're, you know, even a medium to slow talker, you're already formulating what you're going to say next to them. So really actively listening, making sure that we were really understanding each other. You know, you know, I always say all feedback is a gift. What you do with the gift is up to you. But really understanding from once they come from so that we can get rid of baggage and say, okay, this is a new day. And it you will be accountable and we will, you know, what did you do last week? What did you what are you gonna do next week? And how can I help you? And if you're not achieving what you said you did, then we'll have the discussion about that of what resources that you need. And then pretty much if you choose not to execute, well, that's that's really up for you. And so I would say the other thing we did was and this is something I am still working on, as, as I also have something I say that, you know, Mary Poppins and I, practically perfect in every way. Uh, not completely perfect, but just practically. But the one thing that I really work on probably every day is critical thinking with the teams, which in our business, we are very heavily regulated. And we, the state comes in and the first thing you have to do is fix it. And that's really tactical. I have a problem. I'm going to fix it. You have to do that first, whatever it is. But then how do you, uh, you know, root cause analysis? How do you solve the problem and not just fix it? So it's not that you have to come to me with the solution, but you have to be part of the solution. So I, I do have a sign that I sometimes put on my door that says, you know, do not interrupt me. I am thinking because you really need some time to sit back and reflect on the process, you know, was it the people or the process, and then come together as a group, really, again, thinking through what it is, which is rigorously questioning, you know, ideas and assumptions. On Lily, and I know you're, you're in Indiana and Indianapolis, when you and I walk around, uh, the Lily campus has cameras on it, and they have very, they take good care of their landscaping. But anyway, uh, when you walk into their research area, it says the uh, art and science of asking questions is the source of all knowledge. And I think about that through my walks is about, you know, because people have said, well, you're, you know, something in between. You're very nosy to you ask a lot of questions and asking questions and not accepting them at face value. And I don't know, Andrea, if you have children but you know that with your children, what the first answer they give you is not usually the entire picture. They may, they probably don't do it on purpose, but you really have to ask, 
many questions to get to the root of the issue, and then you can kind of solve it. So when I say it's people or process, getting people to think critically of how can I do this better and different, and let's ask each other and then and not have the assumption that I really understand what you're talking about. Because if you're coming from compliance and I'm coming from IT, the two things may not have the same lingo. So going back to the trust to be able to ask questions again to make improvements. And all improvements, big or small, are important because the road to quality, of course, is never ending. We have that up on a, on a poster in one of our offices. That's really good. I really love critical thinking, developing critical thinking skills as a trust building strategy. I mean, that isn't something that you always hear, but it's, it's really interesting because as I listen to you, Donna, it, I mean, it sounds like what you're doing is really modeling for your team, but also getting your team like to not be reactive, but instead take a step back, be thoughtful so that you can respond with the best information, like all the information that would definitely build trust and credibility within the team. And it also allows everyone to know what we're all doing together. So that when you, when I say you are empowered to go do something, you know how you think, oh, this could affect ABC. And when I said I work on it, I'm a fixer. I can fix the problems. And it takes time and, and sometimes eliciting the opinion. And particularly as you go up the chain, they are intimidated and don't always tell you uh, something. So you you have to set the tone that, no, it's not only right to say something, it'd be wrong not to say something and, and keep it in if you can make things, you know, uh, if you can dialogue and achieve a better outcome. And is that something you just find yourself having to repeat over and over? Because you, you are, I mean, you're a very confident, driven leader. So I suspect that naturally people would think, oh, you know, she's got this. She doesn't need my perspective. Absolutely. And I like to learn. That's one of my, you know, one of those many tests I've taken. So I read a lot and I read a lot, mostly on my business at the moment, but so that I can understand again, why, why the state or why the federal government is going to do something and from what perspective they're coming. And then how can I operationalize it with the resources that we have? You know, everybody wants everything and nobody wants to pay for it. And so the healthcare dollar is not getting any bigger. So how to use your healthcare dollar in the best possible way is, you know, one of the things I, I think a lot about. And I guess I would say the last thing that I, I have been learning is empathy, which is an easy word to say, but I define that as seeing life through the eyes of your customer and the rose-colored glasses to which we all have on and how they are perceiving. And, and, a, and a quick story was I was replacing, I was in North Carolina at the time and we had all new beds, which was really exciting, but they came late in the day and I could only get half of them in the building before the next day. And I came to the last room and there was two men in it. Uh, one was an African-American and one was a white man. The white man was, was a hospice patient and not long of this world. And he had just gotten him out of the bed to uh, bathe him. And we had one bed left. So it made perfect sense in my mind to, to put it to that bed because once he goes in it, he's not going to get out. And my black gentleman looked at me and he goes, you know, basically through the eyes of someone who had suffered through prejudice, obviously, was absolutely convinced that the reason I gave that man the bed was because he was white. And I was so taken back that I thought, oh my gosh, I didn't explain to the room 
I didn't explain to both of them what I was doing and why I was doing it and how we would all, you know, benefit in the morning and it would all be good. And I've always kept that with me about, I need to take, again, that step back as I am seeing life through those whom I have the privilege to care for and how they see our caregiving as we enter the room, perhaps without knocking or we don't address them appropriately and why their family, uh, we like to think of them as family, each person's family is different and their journey that got them to our senior living is different. And that's a lesson for all of us you know, to remember as my workforce to remember as we have, again, the privilege to serve the folks that come to our door. What a good reminder, because you're walking around with all this context and thoughts and without explaining those or putting those out there. Yeah, of course, others are going to make assumptions. So good self-awareness there. I mean, <laughs> that's what days. it's about, isn't it? Paying attention. We have right. Exactly. Aren't we all works in progress? You are doing the work. I mean, that's what I hear in your journey. You know, you're not afraid to put yourself out there and take risks and step into the challenge and learn through the process. You talked about it as a roller coaster earlier. I mean, it is, of course, as you're taking risks, there's lots of ups and downs, but you're learning through it all. Well, I hope so. I hope we uh, never stop learning. And I would tell you if I have learned one thing by working with the seniors is that life is short and that you should live or try to live in the present. I talked a little bit about that in the Women of Influence, which I start each day, and I'm being serious with this, is that I try to start each day with a positive thought and a grateful heart. So as I go into my day uh, with many opportunities, I know that I, again, have the strength and the privilege to help and to, to learn every day. And it's, you know, working with seniors has really been very rewarding. And I'll put a plug in for our, you know, our industry, if you will, whether it's assisted living or independent living and all the different and, and of course, skilled, I find to be very rewarding, more so than the hospital, which no offense to them is very cold and they're very there a short time. And we are really a people-centered business. And so I try not to take myself too seriously. We do laugh a lot. Um, because, you know, again, life is short, you might as well. And then from uh, my other kind of almost concluding thought is from a Hallmark card that uh, life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer you are to the end, the faster it goes. It's very philosophical. I was like, yeah, there's some truth to that one, isn't there? (laughs) Well, it's also consistent with not taking yourself too seriously. There's some levity in there. Toilet paper analogy. <laughs> it was like, yeah, yeah, that was a true. But yeah, but such a good reminder, which is consistent with your life being life being short, and you see that every day. Well, Donna, thank you so much. You know, my, my big takeaways: your the theme throughout your our entire conversation is this one of really leveraging your team, building trust within the team. And the key takeaways there are that, you know, the act of listening, making sure everyone's voice is heard. I really love it when you said, we're trying to get to the best solution. So we need to have everyone engaged and everyone's voice. And then just the, the whole perspective around critical thinking, like building critical thinking skills within your team, equipping your team with the knowledge and the skills they need to be responsive rather than reactive. And then you also talked so much about your role and the tone that you set. You're modeling the way. You're focused on empathy, particularly right now, as you see life through the eyes of your customers. 
So I'm really appreciative of all of these lessons learned. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you asking me to talk. It is, you know, about me because it's a subject I know well. So that was easy to do. But I have also very much enjoyed your podcast and the different group of people that you have invited on. I will say that, again, one of the things that they all have in common that I've listened to is just a real interest in life and a passion for where they found. And, and not very few of them have found that passion right away, that in their 20s, they actually experiment, not experiment, but tried different jobs before they got to where they you know, really just blossomed. And I think that's also for the people coming right out of college. You don't have to know everything you want to do right out of there, that you can be successful as a woman or a man where you take your time and think about things, but also raise your family. All of uh, your, quite a few of your women talked about their family being very much part of their career and as was mine. Yes. And I so appreciate that. Like it, and I think of that as like the leadership of your life, you know, that a lot of this like work-life balance, like a lot of, a lot of our guests have said, like, there's not really a balance. It's all integrated. It's just my life I'm leading. Very true. As I go along. So Donna, if our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Where can people find you? Well, I do. I have a LinkedIn profile and I will, I could actually update it, but please that that's a, um, a good place. And also they can, they can email me. My email is dkelsey at ASCCare.com, American Senior Communities Cares, where caring people make the difference. So it's ASCCare.com. Great. And thank you for your leadership in a space where your customer base is so vulnerable and what a group of people so deserving of love. So I'm grateful that I'm grateful for your leadership. Thank you for what you do. And thank you very much for having me. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.